Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and today we continue our great series on the kings of the Old Testament out of Second Chronicles. And today we come to the all-important king named Amaziah. And do you know the principle that we learn from Amaziah's life? The Bible says that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but here was his fatal flaw. The Bible says he did not follow God with a whole heart. In other words, Amaziah represents today's Christian who is half-hearted. They have one foot in and one foot out. They're a mixed bag. Part of their life pleases God, while other parts of their life displeases the Lord. Well, today we're going to learn many lessons from this king, and we are going to learn how to avoid many of the mistakes that he made. I hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. And if it speaks into your life, let us know. Download our free mobile app, Awakened to Grace, or shoot me an email this week, Roberts at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you, Roberts at gmail.com. to 2 Chronicles chapter 25. We're in our series right now on the kings, namely the kings of the house of Judah. We are not studying the kings of the north, which is geographically at this time called Israel. We are studying the southern kingdom, which was called Judah. Remember in our Part one of our study, we looked at Rehoboam and the kingdom split under Rehoboam. The kings went King Saul, who the people chose, yet the Lord rejected. And the Lord chose who? A young, ruddy shepherd boy named who? David. And that's where the messianic covenant was made. And that's where the line was made in the eyes of God. And then who was David's son? King Solomon. And who followed King Solomon? Rehoboam. And the kingdom split. Jeroboam took the north. Rehoboam took the south. Following Rehoboam, we looked at Abijah. Then we looked at his son, Asa. And you remember, Asa had a fatal flaw. He relied on the Lord in the beginning, but then later in life, refused to look to the Lord. And many warnings we saw out of Asa's life. Rehoboam did not fully trust in the Lord, and Asa did not rely on the Lord. But then good news came. We looked at Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat lived a wonderful life. However, he made one consequential mistake. He married his son, Jehoram, to a wicked woman of the north, Ahab, and Jezebel's daughter, Athaliah. And he made a marriage alliance. And we said in that sermon that he was the king who made a poor choice. He made a bad choice. And many people do not live to see the consequences of their decisions. He had no idea what would happen to his son and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. Remember, Athaliah killed all her grandchildren to get to the throne. What a wicked woman. We continued in our study with Jehoram. Who did not do well, wicked man. We saw his son. Oh, his name slips in my mind. Anybody remember his son's name? 
Mm. Oh, it's up there. Joash. Who is it? Joash, Joash was next. Uh, who was between? Uh, uh, it would be between Joash and Jehoram. Ahaziah, thank you. It was there. I just couldn't access the file. I couldn't find it. Ahaziah, that's right. Then, Joash. You're exactly right. Remember, Joash was the boy king, came to the throne at the age of seven. And who was influential in his life? Jehorda. And when he died at age 130, the spiritual influence of his life snuffed out and he had no relationship with God. And what was the result? He went off the rails. And this is where we pick up today in our story of the house of Judah. Have you learned from these lives? Well, today I'm going to share some very specific things with you that I trust the Lord is going to help us in. Second Chronicles chapter 25. Last week we saw that Joash was killed... They conspired against him. Why? Because he killed the son of Jehorda, Zechariah, who was the prophet, because he commanded him to be stoned to death. When he was wounded in battle, they conspired against him and they killed him. Now, his son, Amaziah, is going to ascend to the throne. And this is where we pick up in chapter 5. I want you to look at verse number 1. He took the throne at age 25. The Bible says that he reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. The Bible, not only with this king, but with all other kings, it tells us about their mother. Isn't that interesting? It always tells us their mother's name. I thought that was interesting. I was pondering that this morning. Why does it go into detail to tell us the mother's name? Well, naturally, that's part of the chronicle. And we believe that the book of Chronicles was written at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. As a matter of fact, we believe that it was Ezra who spearheaded the entire project. Most likely, he had a large team of scholars, and the scholars compiled everything, and it was Ezra's project, most likely. We are of great benefit for having it today because these lives stand as great warnings to us today. Oh, the mistakes we can avoid, the pitfalls that we can avoid, the sorrow that we can avoid, the hardships that we can avoid. We can avoid so much by studying these lives. And I find it interesting that with each of the kings, it tells us their mother. Why? I think not only was it part of the chronicle for genealogy purposes, I think because, too, the Holy Spirit wants to remind us the influence that a mother has over her children. It was Abraham Lincoln who said it so well. One godly mother is worth more than 100 clergymen. I believe that. And I want to encourage you mothers today, I believe it gives us in each instance. Why? Because it speaks to the influence that you're carrying right now as you're raising your children. I want to remind you of this, and we say this often. It may not be what you do that is the greatest for the kingdom of God. It may be who you're raising. So do it well. Invest spiritually in your children, because your influence 
is going to have a lot of weight. So, verse 2, it's very interesting. We've seen a number of these with the kings. They either do what's right in the eyes of the Lord or they do what's evil in the eyes of the Lord. And when it comes to Amaziah, what's it going to say? Verse 2, he's going to do what's right in the Lord, but there is a clause. And what's the clause? He is not going to follow the Lord with a whole heart. That is going to prove to be a fatal flaw spiritually. And let me tell you who Amaziah represents today. Let me tell you who he speaks to today. His life speaks to Christians who are half-hearted. His life speaks to Christians who have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. His life speaks to someone who mixes a little bit of God into their life, a little bit of Bible into their decisions, a little bit of prayer into their life, but then they go off and they do whatever they want to do. That's who Amaziah represents today. A half-hearted Christ follower. He followed God. He did what was right in the eyes of God, but yet he only did it with a half-heart. He was not wholehearted. You know who stands in stark contrast to this? Caleb in the Bible. You know, Caleb was one of the spies. He was one of the twelve. And you remember the ten spies gave a bad report of the land and put fear in all the people's hearts. But only two spies spoke of faith. And remember who they were? Joshua and Caleb. And what the Bible says over and over about Caleb, he occupies 30 verses of the Old Testament. And you know what the Bible says about him over and over and over? It says that Caleb followed the Lord wholly, fully. He had a whole heart toward the Lord. Today as we talk, as we go through Amaziah, we're going to see the ramifications. We're going to see the effects of what it means when you're half-hearted. When you've got one foot in and you've got one foot out. Verses 3 and 4, we see that he's going to obey God's commandment. They, they, they conspired against his father and they killed his father. And so he killed the man who did. In these days, you would not only do that, but you would have killed all of their lineage. But see, under Moses and under the law, God said, No, a father should not die for his son's sins and a son should not die for his father's sins. It, everyone is responsible for themselves. And he obeyed that law. Okay, it looks like he's going to start out good. It looks like he's going to be serious about the Lord. So then in verse number 5, this is interesting. He begins to mount his army. He begins to mount his defenses. And guess what he discovers? He's got 300,000 men capable and ready for warfare. Judah's going to be just fine. They're going to be able to take on whoever tries to invade them, whoever tries to pick a fight with them. Judah's going to be okay. They got 300,000 able-bodied men over the age of 20. They're healthy. They're young. They're going to be fine. But then he thinks, well, we could always be stronger. So verse number 6, I want you to pay close attention to this. He goes to Israel, the kingdom of the north, their relatives for crying out loud. 
And he hires 100,000 mercenaries. He hires 100,000 men for what the Bible calls 100 talents of silver, about 75 pounds of silver. This was a nice down payment. And now he's doing the math and he's saying, with my 300,000 capable men and with another 100,000 mercenaries, we're going to win whatever fight we come up against. But then, in verse number 7, watch this. God sends a prophet to him. And the prophet says, oh king, oh don't do this. Let me give you some good advice, king. He says, don't go to war with Israel because God is not with them. Don't go to war with them because God is not with them. And right then, this young king had a decision to make. Is he going to put his trust in God, or is his trust going to be in an arm of flesh? Is his trust going to be in his own abilities? Is his trust going to be in his generals and what they think? Is his trust going to be in their own (coughs) thinking? Or is his trust going to be that God has more than enough ability to care for them? So verse 7, the prophet says, don't do this, king. God's not with them. You know what the principle is here? You do not want to connect yourself to people that God's not with. That goes for friendships. The Bible says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. How can two walk together except they be agreed? What fellowship has light with darkness? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That goes for business relationships. God cannot bless you the way he wants to bless you. If you are are partnering with people who are ungodly, people who dishonor the Lord, who displease the Lord, And for crying out loud, it goes for relationships and marriages. Why does God not want us to be unequally yoked? Do you know why, my friends? It's because God's not near as concerned with your happiness right now today as He is years down the road. And when you listen to people who tell you, this age-old line, Oh, God just wants you Happy. Don't listen to that. If you tell yourself, oh, God just wants me happy. No, no, no. Friends, I want you to hear me today. There are some friendships. There are some relationships. There are some business partnerships. There are some things that you and I, as Christ followers, we have to evaluate and we have to say, no, listen, this this person's not with God. This, This person, God's not with them. And I cannot attach my life to that. I cannot connect myself to this. Why? Because God's not with them. And you know what this young king did? This young king listened. In verse number 8, the prophet tells him, I can hear this old prophet talking to the young king, and he says, go to battle. Go to war. God's going to be with you. Hmm. But you know what the king asked? He asked what all of us would ask. 
Verse number nine, the young king goes, yeah, but I've already paid the money. Do you know the restocking fee on mercenaries? It's not good. And he goes, "Uh, but what about the hundred talents of silver? They've done cash the check. I can't get it back. And do you know what the prophet tells him? I don't know. Are you reading your Bibles or are you just looking at me? Because I could be telling you wrong. You better, you better keep me honest. What did the prophet tell him? The prophet said, God's able to give you much more than this. You know what he's saying in essence? Cut your losses. Oh, God's given me a word to tell somebody today. Cut your losses. I couldn't walk away from him. I couldn't walk away from her. Cut your losses. I couldn't back out now. I couldn't couldn't hurt somebody's feelings. I couldn't do this. No, cut your losses. God is able to give you much more. Can somebody say amen right now? And he listens to the man of God. He listens to the prophet Amaziah. Verse number 10. He he tells the mercenaries, your services are no longer needed. Keep the hundred talents of silver. Go on home. We're going to do this thing God's way. Hallelujah. So verse 11. The plot is going to thicken. Verses 11 and 12, the young king goes to war. They go to the valley of salt. They face the Edomites, the men of Seir. And they go to war and they prevail and they overcome. And God helps them. And God delivers on his promise. But then the story takes a very odd turn. This is why I love the kings. You never know what's going to happen next. You can read it and just be riveted because you have no idea what's about to happen. You know those mercenaries that he sent home? Do you know why they were so angry? hundred talents of silver is not bad, but all that was was a down payment. Do you know why mercenaries went to war? Not only were they bloodthirsty, but do you know why they went to war? For the plunder. They wanted the spoils of whoever they were going to war with. And there were many more. There there was much more spoil to be had. And they are furious. They're beyond angry. And I don't know about you, but if you don't want anybody, mercenaries are the last people you want to make mad. They're not going to walk away from a contract with a handshake. And while... Amaziah is obeying God. Say amen if you're with me right now. While Amaziah is obeying God and doing to the letter what God expects him to do. Do you know what happens? Verse number 13. They raid the villages of Judah. They kill 3,000. And they carry off all the spoil. Do you know what that does to Amaziah? Oh, he's enraged. And something happens. You can try to find commentary for this. Trust me, I did. 
and there's not much there. <sighs> Seems like many commentaries just skip over Amaziah. Oh, but I think there's something here. I don't want to read too much in between the lines. I don't want to, but is it okay if I just share with you what, what I feel in, in, in my heart is happening with Amaziah right now that I think happens to people today over and over and over and perhaps you're listening today and this is exactly how you feel and exactly where you are. Verse 14. He has won a major battle. He overcame the Edomites. He slaughtered the men of Seir. The Lord helped him. The Lord delivered him. And God did exactly what God said he would do. And Amaziah does what to me is absolutely unthinkable. He takes their gods, their statues... That the Bible, it says, of wooden and carven images. They have eyes but cannot see. They have ears but they cannot hear. They have lips and tongues but they cannot speak. And he takes their gods. And the Bible says in verse 14, he sets them up and begins to worship them as his gods. What happened, Amaziah? How did you go from obeying God down to the letter of the law? What happened to obeying the prophet and losing the money and cutting the ties? And now all of a sudden you're worshiping the gods that you overthrew? What happened to you, Amaziah? How did you get so off track? What happened? Scripture doesn't tell us what happened. But let me tell you what I think happened. Between Amaziah obeying God and Amaziah going to war and prevailing, between verses 11 and 12 to 14 is verse 13. You know what I think Amaziah, you know what I think he felt like? I think he felt like he got burned by God. Here I am, God. I obeyed you down to the letter. I did exactly what you said I should do. And how did I get repaid? We got raided. And I think Amaziah felt hurt. I think he felt betrayed. I think he felt offended. I think he felt burned. I think he felt let down by God. I obeyed you. And look where it got me. Raided. So you know what? Maybe it was me who won that war. Maybe it was my strategy. Maybe it was my military might. Maybe it was my strong arm that overcame the Edomites. Maybe God is nowhere in the picture. So I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take their gods and that's what I'll worship. Wow, what a turn. What a turn of events. I don't know who I'm preaching to today. But I know in my heart that I'm preaching to people today who feel let down by God. You feel disappointed by God. You feel like you obeyed everything that God told you to do. And where did it get you? Sorrow. Sorrow. 
heartache, loss. The enemy came in and raided everything that you had. And the enemy came and took this spoil. And where was God? Have you signed up for my weekly devotional email? Every Tuesday, I send out a devotion that will help you grow in your faith. Go to my website, awakentograce.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and when you sign up and submit your email, you'll get a direct message from me every Tuesday. Sign up today at awakentograce.com.